0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for our sermon today is the gospel lesson that was read from Matthew chapter 5 just a few moments ago. So, feeling righteous, feeling like maybe you are better than someone else in your life, that's something that we're pretty good at. We love to compare ourselves to others and find them just coming up a little bit short. And It doesn't matter how old we are, it's just something that comes naturally to us. Think about that conversation of 10-year-olds on the playground. I can swing higher than you. Oh, yeah? No, you can't. I can swing higher. Or I can make it all the way across the monkey bars you can't really why and as we age it just seems like we hone this skill more and more with the years there are things that we hold near and dear in our own hearts we have this whatever it is squared away in our own lives so why can't everyone else my sock drawer is organized why isn't yours I won't even ask if that resonates with you because I know that it does with me. But here's the thing if you are feeling righteous, if you're feeling like maybe you're better than someone else in your life, you're not. You do have unique gifts and abilities that God has given to you, but you're no better than anyone else. There's no amount of prowess in anything, sports or science theology, or theater that makes you better. We are all just poor, miserable sinners. Poor, miserable sinners that are wholly incapable of actually being superior to anyone else. In our sin, no possible way to redeem ourselves before God or anyone else. Feeling righteous? we will always, always fail. And Jesus knew this. He knew this was a problem for his fallen and sinful people. So in our text for today, as he speaks with the disciples, I know that the crowds are gathered around, but it really seems like he's directing this to his disciples. He cautions them, highlighting the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, the ones that made it their whole life's work to be righteous, saying these words, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, they think they're on the right track. They're actually off track, though. First off, they're self-reliant. They have, for generations and generations, studied the Torah, God's law. They have a detailed list itemizing all of the things that they must do to comply with God's law. And also, as they've done this, they've actually emphasized some aspects of God's law and relaxed other parts. And so, this law of God that they are espousing is actually their own redacted their own edited version of God's law. And the disciples have seen this. The disciples grew up with this. This is what prior to Jesus they had known. It was all around them. And so now walking around with Jesus, they see that his approach is just a little bit different. And this is early in his public ministry, so they haven't been with him all that long But certainly they would have recognized how different he was from all the other religious leaders they had ever known in their day. So is Jesus relaxing the law? What's his deal? And always brilliant with words, I mean, he does have the benefit of being God, he redirects the whole conversation. He says this to them, Do not think, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In a single, beautiful statement, Jesus proclaims the gospel on the side of that mountain. And I want you to notice that he doesn't say, I'm here to rescue all of you guys. Don't worry about complying to the law anymore. It's all good. But he also doesn't say to them, you guys are terrible. I came down here to double down on your compliance to the law. In his first statement, he affirms God's law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. It's still there, guys. Not an iota. Not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. But then... The second half of his statement, it shows this transformation from the view of the scribes and the Pharisees. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He tells them, it's not about your ability to fulfill the law, it's about my ability to fulfill the law. Every single letter For the scribes, the Pharisees, for the disciples, for you and for me, the law is not a path to righteousness. It's never been about that, brothers and sisters in Christ. Never. The law kills. The law shows us our complete and total inability to actually be righteous. The law kills, and as it does, it shows us our need. For a Savior. It shows us our need for Jesus, the only one that can actually fulfill the law perfectly. And as the law does this, as it kills us, it also quiets our attempts at feeling righteous or feeling justified by our own works or any of the actions in our life. It points us to the cross of Christ. Because it's only through the violence of the cross that the law is fulfilled. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. As sinful people, we want to be righteous on our own accord but we can't. The fatal wounds of sin are healed as Jesus Christ imputes, as he gives us his own righteousness, something that's entirely outside of us, freely given by him to all who believe. And so whose righteousness do you have? Certainly not your own. Pursuing righteousness by looking to yourself always has been, is now, and always will be a failure. Whose righteousness do you have? The righteousness given you by God himself. A free gift showing his mercy, showing his grace, showing the depth and the breadth of his love for you and for me and for his whole creation in Christ Jesus. So even as I say this, I can see the furrowed brows. Okay, pastor, I get it. I can't be righteous. Christ gives me his righteousness, so I'm good. But does that mean that I can just rest on my laurels? No. Let's back up to the beginning of our gospel reading for today. Let's see what Jesus says there when he tells the disciples that they are to be salt and light. See, Jesus is actually declaring something to them about who they are as his followers. Having been called to faith in him, there is a change. In this sin-sick and dying world in which we live, they carry the message of the gospel which preserves those who are yet lost. And I want you to notice that I say that it is the message of the gospel that preserves not us as Christians, Dr. Kolb, a longtime Concordia Seminary professor, would say, We are called to confess. He is here to convince. We are called to confess. He is here to convince. As salt, we can confess the truth that Christ died to redeem his creation. We can confess that through the violence of the cross, we have been made right with God. We can confess that by grace, through faith, we are given hope and a future with Him and a restored creation. But as salt, we cannot change hearts or minds. That's His job. Feeling righteous? You should. You should feel righteous on account of Christ and what his life, death, and resurrection accomplished for all of his creation. And you're a part of that creation. Rejoice in the fact that you are a grain of salt in the Savior's hand. And that just as salt is scattered by the one who preserves the meat, you have been scattered. You have been applied to the meat of this time and place scattered to this time and place to share the preserving word of the gospel with those whom he places in your life. The word of the gospel that reminds you of who you are. A forgiven child of God. Your freedom bought at the terrible price of the cross, free to be salt and light. Free to spend an eternity with the God of all things in restored creation. Amen. And now, may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.